You are listening to Mommying While Muslim Podcast, where hosts Uzma and Zeba share their personal stories of mommying in a post-9-11 world. This podcast is designed with the Muslim American mom in mind, so grab a cup of coffee and pull up to their table. Assalamualaikum, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Momming While Muslim Podcast. This is Osma Jaffrey. As you can see, I'm flying solo and not in my regular office. So I'll give you a little bit of background about that. My beautiful co-host, Zeba Hassan, has been traveling not across across the country, but pretty far. We spent winter break together, which was awesome in Phoenix. Got to see her and her family, all 19 members of them. And no, it wasn't scary. And everybody had a great time. And we spent the whole day together. It was awesome. I can't wait until she comes back. She can't wait until she comes back. Apparently, they don't ever go to the same place twice because it's always like, you know how kids are. It was okay that you spent tens of thousands of dollars on my vacation, but whatever, it was okay. No, the kids actually want to come back to Phoenix because it's amazing and they wanted to just sit outside in and bask in the sun. Thankfully, alhamdulillah, it was very beautiful the weekend that they came. So I'm very grateful for that. For that, and I look forward to many, many family vacations together, inshallah, in the future. That will be awesome. Um, however, with traveling, especially in this season of the triple demic, you're going to pick up something. If it's not COVID, it could be RSV, it could be the flu, it could be the common cold. So Zeba is out sick today. Please make the Oz for her. Um, and I know she'll be back next week on her feet to start the new year. And yes, it's official. This is our last episode of 2022, and it's a special bonus episode. When we receive opportunities to share new, important information, novel information for you by and for Muslims, you can bet we're going to create a whole episode, if not a whole series around it. One of the treasures to run across our desk is my own beautiful, lovely friend, Dr. Sheba Shah. Dr. Sheba Shah is a medical doctor, board certified in pain management, and that's what she specializes in. She also happens to be a mega Muslimapreneur. She owns her own business. She's making a killing there, mashallah, in the pain management world. We're so, so proud of her. She is boss lady goals. So I love it. Um, All of my friends happen to be the coolest people. So you can get it on the podcast. You know my co-host, so you know. They're all super cool. I only hang out with creme de la creme, alhamdulillah. <laughs> uh, Sheba is also a philanthropist, mashallah, and doing a lot of good, not just in Phoenix, but all over the place. And most of it I don't even know about because that's how cool she is. Um, I can assure everybody that you are going to learn so much. I'm so excited because uh, the modality that she's here to talk about, this novel suicide intervention that we have, is actually something that I didn't know much about. And she's the one who brought it to my attention, I want to say a year, year and a half ago. And I had to look it up just to learn about it. It's not something that I do. But I think, you know, because we talked about suicide uh, last time, We don't ever want to just talk about the problem. We also want to offer solutions to our audience. So this is a potential solution that's available for people in America, Muslims in America. And we want you to know for those families who are desperate, we're going to try to offer something new and different for you. Of course, you're always going to go back and talk to your doctor about this. This is in no way any kind of medical advice, but get ready to have your socks blown off by Dr. Sheba Shah. Welcome, Dr. Sheba. Well, thank you, Uzma. That's uh, quite an introduction and um, sounds like big shoes to fill, but thanks. (laughs) (laughs) I know that you can do it even though you have tiny feet. No problem. Uh, We'll just put you in some couture shoes. You know you walk best in those. Mashallah. 
<laughs> so we like to kick off the podcast by asking a little bit about your mom and her mommying philosophy. My mom, let's see. Uh, so I'm of Pakistani origin, you know, uh, mom, dad came to the country, U.S. like it, I think sometime in the 60s. Um, my mom has been your, uh, I guess, you know, typical domestic mom, you know, making sure everything was taken care of for us in terms of uh, cooking, cleaning, getting us bathed, fed, everything. But her philosophy has always been uh, progressive. So in terms of women, women empowerment, she's always been an enabler um, to just, you know, educate yourself, get a career, follow, pursue your purpose, uh, alhamdulillah, those kinds of things. So she's always been kind of like my backbone when it comes to pursuing things yeah. I'm passionate about. Yeah. And you post a lot about your mom. She's like your BFF. She is. She is. She's my like personal shopper, BFF, um, spiritual you know, guide, mentor, alhamdulillah, we have a good relationship. Alhamdulillah, that's really, really yeah. awesome. Yeah. So um, tell us about how this culture that your mom created within the family, like how that may or may not have inspired what we're talking about today. Uh, I would say, you know, one thing that comes to mind is single-handedly, she's the reason I became an interventional and chronic pain management doctor. Um, mm. she did the typical thing, which was, uh, if you don't get into med school, you're going to get married. <laughs> That's inspiration. So I was like, at 21, I was like, okay, I'm going to med school. No brainer there. <laughs> uh, then after I was done with five years or like, you know, all the years of med school. And then, the, um, I got done with uh, residency training in physical medicine and rehab, which is my primary background. Uh, she said, so what's next? And I said, um, and I get a job. She said, no, you're not can you specialize? I was like, yeah, I, I can. She's like, okay, then oh. you're going to. Oh, okay, wow. Okay. Okay. Mom. Or you're going to get married. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, by that time she was like, please, please, please get married. <laughs> <laughs> it was getting late in the game by that time. Yeah. But, um, no, she was like, if you can specialize, pursue it, whatever it is. And for the longest time, she called me a physical therapist because she didn't. Oh, understand. I know. <laughs> What's BMNR? <laughs> What's BMNR? She's like, what do you do again? So finally, when I actually did pain management, it was something she could understand because she was achy and, you know, getting to that point in time where she was like, I need you more than ever. So alhamdulillah, it's because of her that I pursued um, higher education, higher training. Okay. That's amazing, mashallah. Yeah. Because, you know, I don't know. I feel like there's like two camps that we get in the Muslim community of moms wanting their daughters to get married and have children and be domestic, make me a grandma already. And then you have another camp. And I believe, I don't have numbers to back this up. And, and you know how I don't like to operate without numbers, but I think there's a, a, a small, very small camp of moms that are pushing the daughters to go and be independent and financially, professionally. Um, and I'm just glad that your mom is one of the presidents of those camps. So of that yeah. particular camp. Yeah, I think, you know, it's based on their own experiences and um, what they became obligated to or what they had in terms of power in their own hands and didn't. Mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, especially in this country, financial independence, intellectual independence, you know, that's just going to lead to a better quality of life for uh, women in general. So I think she grabbed onto that pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, of course, her dream was for me to get married, for me to have children and have that kind of a lifestyle. Um, but I don't think the two were exclusive. Yeah. Um, yeah. For her, it was like, you can have both 
at whatever time Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wills it, you know? Exactly. And what I love about it is, I, you know, you described your mom as progressive, but I don't think, like, you know, I still think your parents are pretty conservative Muslims. Yeah. Yeah, you they know? are. You know, and so I don't think that that's exclusive. Like progressive doesn't mean that, oh, we're not super religious people. No, that's not what it means at all. Like I think Islam in general, like basically is progressive. We're the ones that put all of these like um, little boxes on top of it and make it like it's haram. Like, I was actually told it's haram for me to be a doctor when I was going through oh, the things. Wow. So not by my parents, alhamdulillah, but by other people who are related to me very closely. You know, it's haram for you to do it. You know, don't get girls too educated because then they're not going to have a good domestic life because they'll be too uh, educated to live with somebody else. So all kinds of garbage, oh. um, nonsense out there. Um, and I'm just really glad that our parents, alhamdulillah, are in the right camp of yeah. just progressive enough and um, still maintaining our Islamic values because I know you're hardcore about your Islam too. So I love you for that. Yeah. Um, you. So getting right into the meat of today, yeah. um, talk to us about refractory depression, acute suicidality, and ketamine. Like how are all of these, can you define some of these things for sure. us and sure. how they're related and their use now in mental health? Yes. So, you know, full disclaimer, I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not a psychologist. I am not trained you know, family therapist, social worker, none of that. So I am coming to you strictly from a, I would say, a more biochemical background in terms of pain management. So in what I do for pain management is I try to find reasons why people are in pain. And beyond your typical joint pain, arthritis, herniated disc, you know, pulled my muscle, um, a lot of manifestation of pain comes from mental health. So when people can't actually sift through and um, kind of figure out what the issues are dealing with their depression and anxiety, it manifests as physical pain and it can manifest for years, chronic pain, right? It's like uh, the mom who loses a child when the child is young and then all of a sudden for the rest of her life, she's got this physical pain because she hasn't been able to deal with the grief and the loss. And it's vice versa. I have a lot of patients that are... Um, that uh, because they're in pain due to a particular injury, um, you know, an, a back injury that never got better, and they're limited in their life, it now becomes a depressing thing, right? Mm -hmm. So they're in this cycle of, I can't move, I can't get my endorphins going, therefore, I'm now falling deeper and deeper into depression because I'm disabled. So they right. go hand in hand. Um, so, you know, what is like um, treatment-resistant depression? So that is when defined as when somebody who has been diagnosed with either major depressive disorder or acute depression has at least tried to be on, uh, I believe it's uh, two antidepressive medications, but been refractory to that. Refractory meaning they're taking it for four to eight weeks at a time, but their symptoms aren't alleviating. They're not getting any better. And so that, um, you know, over time that can lead to just a lot of darkness, numbness and ongoing thoughts leading to suicidal ideation, right? Right. Then you've got major depressive disorder, which um, I think it's defined as, uh, I think, more than like six months of persistent symptoms um, that are defined with depression. And then where ketamine came into this for me as a practitioner is, how do I get my patients better when they may not have the time to figure it out or the wherewithal or the motivation and they need immediate help. So I'm always looking for something to help immediately. 
And, you know, I can get into more of how that ketamine came to be, but that's kind Mm -hmm. of like an intro to kind of help you understand. Yeah. Yeah. No, actually, I would love to get into how ketamine came to be, not just for you personally, but like even historically going back. Because I mean, reading some of that, I was like, man, everything good starts with EMS. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, you know, just a little bit of history on ketamine. Again, you know, my background is physical medicine, rehab, not anesthesia, but it's a it's a well-known drug used by anesthesiologists worldwide. I think it was developed somewhere in the 1950s. Um, it's an anesthetic, and basically it works different than other opiates and narcotic medication because it simply binds to a different receptor. And it's used in um, ORs regularly, commonly. Um, you won't meet an anesthesiologist who hasn't used this medication during a procedure to give pain relief, essentially. Uh, but what happened over time, um, and more recently, I would say in the past couple decades, is uh, ER doctors started noticing that when a patient was brought in from a suicide attempt and they were given a form of ketamine, the reduction in the suicidal thoughts and the attempt to actually um, complete that thought and that action reduced immediate within hours. Within hours to days, this person went from whatever means they were going to try to kill them. I want to jump off a bridge to jump yeah. off a bridge, slit my throat, carbon monoxide. I mean, you know, I suffer a lot. So we're many not giving things. anybody ideas, by the way. Okay. Not Don't do all. any of those things. Not at all. <laughs> but I mean, some of these things I can't even think about. I have to read about and be like, oh my gosh, this is actually so geniusly creative. Suffer mm-hmm. a lot. But um, within hours, within hours, those thoughts would subside. And there's studies ranging from. of people being in double-blind studies um, compared to placebo effect of like 33%. 80% of these patients within these studies of like 90 people, 150 people had an immediate reduction in suicidal ideation. Mm -hmm. I think that's so significant. So an ER doctor started noticing this over and over and over again. Um, And then it became something that people wanted to study. People wanted to know more about how does it work? How does it function? And how did we apply it? And so it's become actually quite a popular mainstream treatment um, for psychiatrists and psychotherapists to use. Hey listeners, Momming Well Muslim is bringing you yet another retreat. In fact, our retreats have birthed their own name now, Fill Up Your Cup Retreats or F-U-Y-C. We're kind of proud of that one. Women carry everything for everyone all of the time, and we know we can't pour from an empty cup. So we've curated an F-U-Y-C retreat in Dallas, Texas, this February 17th through the 19th at a private retreat center, the theme being introspection in seclusion. We have limited beds available for the entire weekend experience, including room board and activities fostering introspection. That is being okay, being alone with just ourselves, such as yoga, thicker circles, guided meditations, spa services, hijama, and of course, in the company of women who are doing the same thing alongside us, filling up their cups by loving the space they fill and embracing their God-given missions, whatever those might be. We expect attendees will find both there. Can't stay the whole weekend, but crave some time to recharge and repurpose yourself? Get a day pass that also includes food and activities for the day. And of course, all attendees get some practical and fancy swag to take home and hopefully continue filling their cups. See y'all there. I guess uh, the question that everybody might be like lighting up in the brain is like, wait a minute, this is like an IV drug and it's used by anesthesiologists. Is this the Michael Jackson drug? Is this the drug that killed Michael Jackson? No, it's not. Thank Dispel God. that. Yeah. Completely that was, different. That's totally different. That was propofol. It's like white, white milk color. Yeah. It's the milk <laughs> stuff. Yeah. Perfect. Clear. We don't even use this in those doses. Completely different stuff. 
So um, the biochemistry behind it is slightly understood, not very well understood. And I want to address um, the mainstream kind of, uh, you know, um, pop culture about it. Special K, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, Drug overdoses. When people hear the word ketamine, they think of like horse tranquilizer. Yes. (laughs) That's what it was first. Yeah. Right. So all Back in the 50s and 60s. Yeah. Right. Um, a hallucinogen, a psychedelic. So yes, uh, you know, everything used in extremes can be deadly. And it was used in the 80s and 90s as a street drug called Special K, used in raves, used in dance clubs. People were dying off of it. And people, if they overuse it and overdo it now, can still pass away from it. However, what's been discovered is in micro, micro dosing. So we're not talking milligrams. We're actually talking micrograms of dosing of this. Um, under uh, strict um, protocols of monitoring heart rate, monitoring blood pressure, and some kind of uh, you know NP or MD oversight, it's actually very effective in a controlled environment. Mm-hmm. Um, so what it does, just to be super technically and geeky, uh, it's I love just, geeking it, out. Let's do it. Good. Uh, the best journals of the people who geeked out on it are like, we don't really know how it works, but it works. Uh, it basically binds to an NMDA receptor on neurons, and it causes um, a blockade of those receptors so that the uh, biochemical, uh, you know, um, what are those called? Transmitter called glutamate cannot bind to the receptor. So what it does is it causes a flush of glutamate in the system. And apparently increase, increasing glutamate in the brain, particularly, it's not anywhere else, it's just specifically in the brain, um, will shut down certain negative neuropathic path- pathways, and it will increase and upregulate particular synapses that are beneficial and positive. Another secondary thing it does that has been shown in like histopathology is basically that it increases um, synaptic transmission. So it's allowing parts of the brain that in studies and depression have been locked down, traumatized, shut down in someone's brain who has been chronically depressed, all of a sudden, kind of like a flower blooming, right? All these synapses start to talk and work and get going in a way that um, antidepressants try, but haven't been this powerful and this effective and this rapid. So it's, I think that kind was a amazing. beautiful explanation in a nutshell. Yeah. I mean, the thing that worries me is, you know, I mean, my relationship with the NMDA receptor has been very rocky at best, I know. Um, just I know. from personal experience. But, you know, just hearing about it, like being shut down and actually helping people makes mm-hmm. me feel really good and really safe, um, especially when you're talking about supervised uh, administration of this particular drug. So can you talk about some of like if somebody had depression that had failed um, trials of medication mm-hmm. or they're acutely suicidal, because that's what happens. Like when you're a family member and you're watching your loved one suffer like this, you know, either mm-hmm. long term because the medications are not working or, man, they're going to hurt themselves right now. Calling 988 is not helping me. I'm afraid they're going to do something. What should they do? What should, who do they go to? Like, is this something yeah. you can call your primary care doctor for? And how do you set it up? What do you even ask for? Great questions. And it can be challenging depending on what part of the country you're in, right? Because um, not a lot of doctors necessarily know about this as a first-line treatment for depression, which is really great that we're educating our community 
because mm-hmm. once you go looking for it, you can be prepared and you can try to find it, right? There's right. different forms of it. So uh, if you, let's say somebody needs to go to the ER and it's your family member, your loved one, your friend, your spouse, your kid, whoever it is, what you would do as a person who's educated about ketamine, you, you would ask the ER doctor, hey, can my loved one get a form of ketamine that you have available in your ER right now? And there's two forms they could potentially have available. They could have an IV form in which somebody from anesthesia can come and administer it in the ER or whatever protocol the hospital has. You're not going to find this at urgent cares. You right. are not going to find this at your minute clinic. So you got to go to your doctor's ER, office, right? Not your primary care doctor's office. Yeah. Um, so in a, in case of an emergency where you're like, I need help. And now it's Saturday, you know, 11 PM, you would go to your ER, your nearest um, emergency department, and you would ask for some type of ketamine treatment. They can offer it IV, like I just said, or the second type of form that it comes in, which is FDA approved, is a nasal spray, and it's called S-ketamine, E-S-K-E-T-A-M-I-N. And that's a nasal spray, and that can be readily available too. But again, both of these doses have to be administered in a monitored way, just because it raises blood pressure. And the other thing that's really important for everybody to know, it is a hallucinogenic. It will cause disassociation. That is normal. That is temporary. That is passing. However, that is a side effect of this medication. So if, you know, somebody's in the ER and their loved one now all of a sudden is having auditory, visual, some kind of hallucination, they may not go wild and crazy. That's not how this drug causes that hallucination. It's not an amplification They'll be very much conscious and with it. They'll be able to talk to you and communicate with you. But something inside is happening, right? And it's, mm-hmm. it's meant to um, activate the hippocampus in a way that's you know, similar to having a psychedelic drug. So don't be afraid of that. Just know that that's a common side effect that's likely to happen. And in fact, when we treat, like I treat outpatient. So let's say... It's not an emergency. It's not Saturday at 12 p.m. or a.m. Let's say on a Monday morning you wake up and you're like, my 16-year-old son has been withdrawn and it's been months now. The psychologist isn't helping. I don't know what to do. I'm at a loss. You Google. Google the nearest ketamine infusion therapy person near you. And there's Hmm. clinics. There's clinics throughout the country and physicians throughout the country that are doing this um, locally. And you can Google who's near you, but what you want to look out for is who's the provider, right? Is this a board-certified trained provider who's an MDDO administering this, or is it a nurse practitioner? And there are guidelines where nurse practitioners have the ability. It's not to say they can't administer it. They're trained and certified, but you got to check. And you have to check to make sure that the supervising physician on top of them is a medical director indeed, because you don't want to be taken in by a subscription-based model that somebody outside of medicine came up with because they're like, hey, pay 129 bucks a month and you can get all the ketamine you want. No, 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 no. This this has to be very, very above board and you want your loved one being taken care of somebody who's really well-trained to do it. Yeah, and not just interested in the bottom line. So you mentioned uh, 16-year-olds as an example, but can you talk about what the ideal ketamine patient would be in terms of gender, age, medical conditions, so, you know, presentation, usually, 
in medicine with like heart disease and certain, you know, neurologic disorders, we can always stratify people based on studies. Mm -hmm. It's not studied very well. They're ongoing studies. So what I do is I attend American Society of Ketamine Professionals, um, what's it called, a conference every single year where all the professionals come together and everybody's sort of doing their own pods of um, research Mm-hmm. And they're doing their own clinical research, but we haven't come to a stratification of this age group, this gender, this particular race, because it helps kind of everyone right now. So the indications mostly right now are depression, anxiety, PTSD, complex regional pain syndrome, but it's also used for migraines, chronic pain, fibromyalgia. There are so many indications for it that when you go for a consultation, truly the person who's actually looking at your history is going to say, yeah, I think you're a good candidate for this. So what, what are contraindications? Let's start with that. Yeah. Right. Somebody who's got um, severe hypertension, they're not a good candidate for this. Somebody who has um, schizophrenic disorder, they're not a good candidate for this. Um, somebody who's got, you know, liver issues, like coming, boiling down to basic medicine. If your liver and your kidneys aren't working well, you're not going to process the drug. Well, it's going to be more harmful than efficacious. So just getting that consultation of who's a good candidate and who's not comes down to like bare bones, basic medicine. Um, you have heart conditions, liver conditions, you have a previously existing other mental health condition. Bipolar disorder is another really good one. It's, it's very helpful for. Uh, you know, so, but it can help with so many other painful conditions. I mean, I, you know, I treat all kinds of patients who come up with, um, childhood trauma from molestation, um, sexual encounters with relatives and really the work has to be done in therapy. This is not a substitute for therapy at all. Right. This is just one little piece of the puzzle that can help somebody get over the hump if they're feeling like a plateau and their treatment. This episode is sponsored by Guidance Residential. Join Guidance this January 30th at 1130 Eastern Standard Time for a live and exclusive imam training, The Fundamentals of Sharia Law on Home Financing, a course taught in Arabic, exclusive for imams and masajid board who are often called on by Muslim American families to help them navigate their purchase of a halal home that's Sharia compliant. Check it out at guidanceresidential.com backslash resources backslash upcoming dash events. I was reading somewhere that um, for people who have not gotten better with, you know, ideally for, you know, um, major depressive disorder or chronic anxiety, the treatment is medication and therapy. Like you have to have both hand in hand in order to work. But sometimes when, you know, and we know that these medications that we use, they take weeks to get a blood level that works. And I mean, I personally, my practice is I'm a chicken. So I'm always going to start lowest dose and work my way up. Mm-hmm. The fastest I'll progress, depending on the drug, will be every two weeks. I'll increase the dose. Otherwise, it's every month. And that can be a long time, especially when somebody's mm-hmm. acutely um, suicidal. But then, you know, when you're persistently feeling like that, it takes a lot of motivation to get into the therapist's office. Yeah. It takes a lot of concentration to listen to the therapist and receive the information and the feedback that they're giving you. So what I read somewhere was that when people who are in this situation get that initial infusion of ketamine, it makes them more receptive to the therapy. 
Mm-hmm. And then the therapy can work. And then they buy their t- themselves some patience, some time yeah. for that actual drug, the maintenance drug that is going to work. So the ketamine is like an acute, like, you know, it's like the penicillin shot you get in the ER, but you're still going to go home with like a pack of pills to finish yeah. the rest of the week. You know what I mean? So it's kind of like that. It's your penicillin um, for mental health disorders patient specific. When you were talking about um, patients contraindicated, that includes pregnant women because we don't test on them and we don't know enough to use it on them. And children, is there like a guideline yet with the ketamine professionals that we have for children? Because it's 16 still sounds to me like mm, there's still a lot of brain development going on. Is that safe? So again, there's no, uh, there's no specific guidelines because ketamine as a drug is based on milligrams per kilogram. Oh. So technically it's weight-based. Right. So as long, you know, um, right now we haven't seen any long-term studies of long-term effects on children, but I'll tell you a story about a 13-year-old female who was a cutter and okay. been in therapy. She was, we just treated her last year. Um, her father came to us out of complete desperation because he had done therapy. He had done antidepressants for her. She's 13 years old. This was his last, you know, option of, I, I need to save my child from really doing something to herself. And she had a bunch of scars. She went through the therapy, uh, ketamine therapy protocol and she stopped cutting. And oh, she actually did not need the ongoing medication. So there's two prongs of this I want to talk about, which you mentioned. Um, I think mental health cognitive behavioral therapy is a mainstay of anybody trying to get better at anything. So that particular thing, I don't think there's a um, anything to take the place of that. However, with ketamine protocols and ketamine programs, um, a lot of patients have been able to stay on a program where they don't then have to go back on antidepressant medication. So we get a lot of patients in who are like, I have a side effect of hair loss. I have a side effect of loss of libido, you know, um, from the antidepressants. And so when they get the ketamine therapy up front, which is usually usually in the neighborhood of four to six IV treatments in the course of two weeks, then they can go to a maintenance and a booster program where they then can um, get their ketamine infusion therapy once every four weeks, once every three weeks, once every six weeks as a maintenance. And they don't actually have to be on a pill every single day. And a lot of patients find that very attractive because people don't like to have to take medications with all these side effects. Right. Yeah. So, you know, on one hand, um, we don't have enough studies to show how young we can treat somebody. Um, but on the other hand, there's a lot of other benefits. It's, you know, you got to weigh risk and benefit here. Yeah. I think we need yeah. to ask our anesthesia friends, like if they use ketamine in pediatric surgery, I'm sure they do. Yes. Yeah, they, they do. do. Yeah. They do so all it's the time. based over there. So we have that exactly. stu- those studies, but it's a different right. dose, like you said. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, there was something that came across my mind. Uh, you're talking about six weeks, eight weeks for maintenance therapy. Do you guys have like an average yet or the average patient? This is probably really custom to and personalized. Like how many maintenance doses would somebody potentially need? Sure. So what we've seen is that, um, within the first one to two doses of IV ketamine, in terms of acute suicidal ideation, it's repressed in the neighborhood of 80 to 90% of the time. Okay. When it comes to non-acute suicidal side, uh, ideation, such as you know just ongoing chronic anxiety and depression, we're seeing the average of four treatments IV um, before we're seeing long-lasting uh, um, 
changes and long lasting effects. So what we say is at the fourth dose, we're seeing patients say, okay, I actually feel much better now. I can tell this is working. But mm-hmm. what happens is at the fourth dose, they think, okay, I can stop now. So we need to get them to the sixth dose so that they're getting the longer benefit, which is lasting them now anywhere from two to four to six weeks at a time. Majority of the patients with acute depressive disorder can just do a once a month maintenance therapy and that, and that helps them. I, wow. you know, depending on where the patient lives and where their doctor is and how well they do, I'm seeing patients with a um, regression or a fallout somewhere in the neighborhood of three months. Okay. That's when they start to feel like, okay, things are slipping again. I'm not feeling that great again. And most patients are very, very quick to identify that because they never want to be back where they right. started. They right. don't want to get there again. Yeah. So uh, a once a month is reasonable. Okay. Now you're talking about the spray is FDA approved. So is this still considered, is the IV considered off-label use of ketamine? Yeah. Okay. Yep. So then that brings up the question of cost. What do our uninsured patients, what do our insured patients, what should they expect in terms of their purses? Not cheap. Mm. It's not a cheap treatment. S-ketamine, which is a nasal spray, that is covered by insurance. So, um, and again, administered by a physician with a prescription. The S enantiomer of it, the problem is it's only shown to be 50% as efficacious as the IV form. So there, you know, there's an R form chemically and an S form chemically. So even though it might be more cost effective and um, beneficial on your wallet, the one that actually has been shown to work better with intensity is the IV form. So when you're looking at um, a doctor prescribing it in a nasal spray, and I've seen these subscriptions online, I'm seeing them more and more pop up now. Yes. Um, you are only going to be getting the uh, nasal spray version of it, which can take longer to work and not be as potent and not as effective. Um, that's according to insurance copay, right? Whatever right. that is, according to your prescription benefit. Uh, you can go to a doctor, you can try to get a prescription. When it comes to the IV, insurance is not covering it right now. We've tried and tried and tried um, various different ways to get that coding and billing through. The minute they see the word ketamine, they're out. Yeah. So regionally, it depends. Um, if you are going to a clinic that is manned by mostly mid-level providers, such as physician assistants, nurse practitioners, you might be paying a lower amount, somewhere in the neighborhood of between three to four hundred per IV infusion. Uh, but if you go to an MD who is then actually making a, a specialized cocktail um, to deal with adding magnesium, adding um, Zofran for nausea, for additional anxiety, for, you know, they're adding different medications with the ketamine, which is actually great to enhance it that way. Um, We see better outcomes that way. Now you're paying somewhere in the neighborhood of maybe six to 700 per infusion because you've got an MD on site, really, really making sure this is personalized to you. So, you know, depending on where you are, you can, you know, find a provider, and somebody who's doing it from three fifty to seven hundred, it's a it's a wide range. Is this something that would be covered by like a health savings account? I think you can use your HSA to pay okay. for it. Yeah, that would be really just cool. depends on the um, facility and what they accept. Yeah, a lot yeah. of providers. You can do this though. This is a great thing which has been used effectively in psychiatry and psychology all the time. Get your um, uh, charge sheet 
your billing code, like your HICFA, right? So mm-hmm. if your provider can provide you with the codes and um, the invoice for it, you can then go on and submit it to your insurance and say, hey, I want you guys to cover this as a benefit of mine because I'm paying you the premium. It's yeah. a lot more powerful and effective when a member of the insurance goes to the insurance company to say, hey, I want you to cover this for me. Whereas a physician, we, you know, we get nowhere. They reject the us company. like yeah. left, right, and center. Yeah, yeah, we all we the mean time. nothing. So, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So ultimately we're looking at with like 600 effusions, I'm only going to go to a doctor staff clinic. So about 600 yeah dollars per infusion. I'm looking at a minimum of $3,600 to right. get the, just the basic treatment, not even maintenance. Right. And okay. a lot of them will work with you on a payment plan, right? So they'll oh. have packaging. Yeah. They'll have okay. like, okay, do five treatments. You'll get the sixth one at a discount or possibly even complimentary um, because they want to, and that's not gimmicky. I know it sounds very marketing and gimmicky, it's because they actually want to ensure better outcomes for you. They want you to get the six treatments. Because yeah. if you get to the sixth one, then you're likelier to have a better outcome. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, but marketing gets the best of all of us. I mean, it's like super suspicious of marketing myself. Me too. But that's the reason <laughs> why they're offering packages. Uh, yeah. Because it works af- between the fourth and the sixth. Yeah. My yeah. concern is after hearing this episode, there's going to be a bunch of people contacting Dr. Shiba Shaw and saying, how do I get this? Like, I want this because they don't want to go through the steps of, you know, so many people in our community have untreated depression, undefined depression, because there's still so much stigma. Like, I mean, this month has shown us um, that it takes a lot for somebody to seek any treatment, much less recognize that they need the treatment. Um, I don't want the label. I don't want the medication, but I want a fix now. What do you say to people who approach you like that? Like, fix me now. Fix this now. Yeah. I wish I could. Uh, I, you know, again, mental health, and I think health in general, no matter if it's your heart health, your joint health, it's multifaceted. So I think we have to understand that this is one piece of the pie, one piece of the puzzle. And while it can be implemented, uh, you know, you don't want to set yourself up for failure by making this the magic bullet. It's not the magic bullet. So when we screen patients, we encourage them and advise them medically to be in therapy ongoing congruently, find a therapist, get into therapy and then come on in and we can help you. Um, you know, some patients are red flags and we just won't treat them. Mm. If somebody's got an opiate, uh, problem that they are supplementing, um, without the compliance of a pain management doctor on board, we will not treat them. It's a multifaceted approach. So, um, the, the infusion therapy with your other providers working hand in hand is like the best way to do it. But I would never turn away somebody who says I need a fix now because I'm going to try to kill myself. Yeah, that would be different. Right. So, mm-hmm. so that's a different story, but when it comes sure. to maintaining and, and, and really changing the brain chemistry and moving your life in a particular direction, you're going to know that any provider is going to tell you, Hey, there's several other things you need to do with this for this to work. Right. Um, right. And if you really want to be off medications, you're going to have to put the work in. Yeah. But and I that do work wanna, will – oh, go ahead. I, I want to address something you said in terms of the stigma and, you know, people wanting to get treatment. With all these, um, unfortunately, TikTokers and celebrities taking their lives, uh, it, you know, I posted on Instagram. I said, 
This doesn't have to be you. Get ketamine therapy wherever you can find it. Um, it works. And if you're thinking of taking your life, stop and find somebody who can do this for you. I had a Muslim 24-year-old young male reach out to me. Mm-hmm. And he said, I wish my parents would be on board. They won't let me do something like this. And I need it. I need this because I'm not okay. Mm-hmm. It broke my heart. And I was like, this guy's in a main metropolitan area. It's available to him. But under the weight of expectations of his parents, right? 24, you're not really that much of an adult. Yeah. Where you're a kid, but you also don't know necessarily how to go seek medical care. Because think about it, if you're 24, the past three years you've spent in a pandemic not growing up these real life skills and you're still dependent on mom and dad to get you to your PCP. And so for the parents out there, if you're seeing you know, a loved one and a kid suffer, I think it's important to go talk to them and say, hey, you know, if you find a treatment out there that you think is going to help you, come talk to me about it. Because I think that if this kid's parents knew that he was suffering, they might be more open-minded to it. Yeah. I just, you know, it broke my heart and I'm just like, you know, let's, let's have that communication open so that, um, the stigma, we, we start to remove that. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And I think, um, from an Islamic perspective, you know, like as Muslims, we're not supposed to take anything addictive or hallucinogenic and, you know, basically ketamine puts you on a trip. And Mm so maybe some people are like, oh, well, we can't take that because that's haram. That's like saying, don't take NyQuil because it has alcohol in it. But, you know, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I know that that works great for my colds and I'm going to take it because it's a medicine. And back Mm -hmm. in the day, before we had medicines like Tylenol and whatnot, we used to give kids brandy to like decrease their cough or put them to sleep so that they, you know, could hopefully bring down the temperature or at least put, let us put ice packs on them and not fight us. So, you know, for medicinal purposes is different than using special K, right? We're not using this as special K. And whether you use the spray or you use the IV, you still need to be monitored for for two hours by a professional, by a doctor, or as you said, in those mid-level staff clinics, you have to be monitored. So you're doing this in a very structured thing. And after the reason why two hours is that that's when the trip is generally over. So it's a very temporary small thing. That's why we can use this safely in anesthesia because it's a quick on, quick off, you know, but the long lasting changes in brain chemistry that are happening like it shows us or has demonstrated both through just observational study that, you know, as well as, you know, evidence-based trials or clinical trials that there are some long-term effects and we don't know what we don't know about the brain yet. And I can, I can see where the argument would be like, well, that's why we don't know what the long-term effects are. So we shouldn't use it, but we've been using ketamine for decades. Yeah, you know, in the operating room, and nothing's ever happened short of somebody who used to have suicidal ideation woke up and for nine months they'd never had it again. You know, Um, so I think for those who are poo-pooing it from an Islamic perspective, saying we don't use things, you know, ketamine also works on your opioid receptors, and that's why it can be addictive. But when we're you know closing it off because oh, it has potential to be addictive, it takes you out of your mind. Again, we're using it as a medicine. We're not using it for recreational mm-hmm. purposes. So if it's the only thing that could possibly work for your kid because you've tried everything else, I would say open our minds to it. Um, for those who are going to DM lots of hateful messages about us touting like, um, oh, you no. know, addictive drugs. Get, like, we're going to get just please. Yeah, yeah, we do. But that's okay. Oh, you know, I think that's why we explain it and say yeah. this is the perspective that we're coming from. And you have two doctors on the screen right now explaining to you that this is, you know, for medicinal purposes, 
typically, Islamically, that is okay. But check with your trusted imams, you know, to figure out like what is going to be your um, moral, you know, if you're having a moral conflict about using it. And some people do. They literally think it's haram to use modern medicine when you have the uh, Bible Rasul, the medicine of the prophet, which is great. But I don't know. If I saw my prophet suffering, I would have offered him maybe a little bit of ketamine, maybe a little bit of morphine. You know, when he was dying, he died in a lot of pain. So, you know. Yeah, right. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm against pain. That's yeah. my, And I'm not even a pain specialist. Pain. Same. That's, <laughs> that's, that's, uh, that's what I live for. I'm anti-pain. <laughs> yeah. So that's not a, that's a bad P word that we don't use. So Jazakallah khair for all of that beautiful information. And I know that we're going to be getting a lot of DMs from people who are like, how do I contact Dr. Shibasha? So we're going to have all of that in our show notes. And in the meantime, we've got a special surprise for you, which is our rapid fire. I don't know if you've listened to our episodes before. But you love me, so I know you have. Yeah, of course, all of them. <laughs> wink, 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 wink. Uh, so the rapid fire is to help people get to know you a little bit uh, more okay. personally. There's oh, no, um, there's no right answer. Whatever is the answer that comes to top of mind is the correct one. And we like to kick it off by asking, "What are you okay. reading right now?" Oh, a book you sent me. Thank you very much. Oh, Entre- you're very welcome. Entre MD. If you could be any Disney character ever made, who would it be and why? Um, okay, this is going to sound really superficial, but I love Scrooge McDuck. Oh, I love Scrooge McDuck! <laughs> because I just love when he dives into those coins. I've always wanted to swim in them, and I'm like, I imagine them to be chocolate coins. So, like, oh. I just... Yeah, I just always wanted to swim like in a tank of chocolate, I guess. In a tank of chocolate <laughs> coins. Oh my God, that makes me so happy. And hello, I completely forgot about him as a Disney character. And I'm so glad it wasn't a Disney princess. You are oh. like my ride or die. I love you. Um, <laughs> if you could have an unlimited supply of one thing, what would it be? Health. Health. Oh, mashallah. Good answer. Oh. Yeah. Um, what is the most interesting thing in your wallet or purse? not interesting at all but i love it i like flossers because stuff gets stuck in my teeth the little oh i know and as you get older your teeth fade. i can't eat popcorn anymore it's so annoying i can't go out without a flosser (laughs) that's a good idea i was so mad because i'm out of town right now and i forgot to pack my floss so i was like you know shoving things in there trying to get the popcorn out (laughs) all right i think this is a timely question what habit holds you back the most uh so I'm a, di- a dichotomous person. I'm incredibly motivated and then I'm incredibly lazy. And if I could just take the lazy times and make them less, I mean, that's my Achilles heel. Do you think lazy. it's really laziness or do you think it's like overwhelmed because you do so much? Sometimes it can be like, I have so many, literally so many plates that are full that I'm juggling on sticks. You I mean, I'd like to give myself that excuse, but <laughs> truthfully, Sometimes it comes down to it, I'm, and I and I I know, I'm like today I'm going to be lazy. Like that's yeah. just it. Well, no, you did this podcast recording today. You got your face on. You got everything ready, and yes. you were ready with all of the facts for us. I love it. I appreciate it. We are all out of time with the rapid fire. Any final thoughts? Um, you know, I just I hope that uh, everybody's open minded to helping their loved one and. Um, I, re- I just really hope this helps people. That's it. That's why we do what we do. That's why we are who we are. Just want to help people. That's all. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And I guarantee at least one person out there is going to benefit from them. So may Allah reward you Inshallah. in this life and the next. Thank um, you. Forward. And you too, sister. Love you. Ah, <laughs> love you. Assalamu <laughs> <laughs> alaikum, everybody. Thanks again for joining Zeba and Uzman Momming While Muslim today. Please email us your thoughts or questions and follow us on Facebook and Instagram because this podcast was designed to cater your needs. Make sure you check out the show notes to find the links and resources for this episode. And remember to help a mama out and leave a review of the show as well as to like it on your podcast app of choice because that helps us grow. Tune in next week for another episode of Mommy While Muslim. Assalamu alaikum, everyone.